what are you finding out there? Because you're you're looking every day for deals, and um, you'll pass up on most of them. But when you find a good one, you got to jump on it, and that's what I'm right. doing as well. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Chad Zdenek. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not familiar with Chad, he is founder and CEO of CSQ Properties. And in the past seven years, he has built a multifamily self-storage portfolio worth over $150 million through syndication and personal investing. And today we're going to find out much more about what he has going on. Chad, my man, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show. Cool. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah. Yep. Super excited to jump into this conversation. Before we do that, though, I know you have an interesting background. Tell us more about your story prior to getting into real estate. Sure. So I've kind of had three distinct career chapters, if you will. First chapter was a W-2 employee actually working uh, for Boeing, Fortune 100 company. Uh, actually, it was a subsidiary of Boeing called Rocketdyne. I worked on the space shuttle main engines as wow. a structural dynamics engineer. Did that for seven years, uh, couldn't get the entrepreneur bug out. So I eventually left that to join my brother uh, on a startup that he started working with, or he started rather. And uh, we worked together for 15 years, uh, built that up to a 75 person company, three different warehouses. And then uh, he bought me out in 2018. And I went into real estate full time, and I've been doing that ever since in uh, syndications, primarily syndications, but also investing passively and uh, investing in projects in uh, Southern California and also out of state. I I'm local to LA. Okay, cool. Well, you have, like you said, you have a very uh, diverse background, right? You got to taste a little bit of everything: the W two, yeah. the 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 entrepreneurial spirit there, and then also now you're you're doing real estate full time uh, for yourself, and you've been very successful at that, right? So. You know, you mentioned you got into real estate. How did you actually begin your real estate investing career? You know, you mentioned syndication and passive investing. Where did you start? What did that look like? So it started out just as uh, investing on my own in uh, my own properties. Okay. And then uh, as you do, you quickly run out of your own money <laughs> and uh, decide to start working with other people and partnering and working with other investors to buy bigger projects. And so I started doing that pretty early. And uh, I know you and I are both part of the Raise Masters Mastermind, and, and I kind of had a unique start in terms of syndication where my, my first syndication was a deal I did as a solo GP. So I did everything from A to oh, wow. Z without any partners. I had limited partners, right? But I was the only general partner on, on the project. Uh, that was like a $1.2 million raise. And I uh, bought a 10-unit apartment building in uh, in Long Beach here in Los okay. Angeles. And uh, and yeah, just, just ran that. That's where I started. Um, I did several of those on my own and then figured two things. One, I wanted to diversify a bit out of California and invest out of state. And two, I wanted to do bigger deals. So that led me to, to start partnering with other people, find other general partners to work with. And uh, and create passive income streams that way. 
Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that they've been the only GP on the deal, right? Kind of handling uh, everything. It's, it's very interesting. So you said you did that actually a few times. Talk to us about some of the things you actually learned during that process, right? Because that seems very challenging and daunting to me to be able to take all that on your own, especially as a beginner. Talk talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be frank. I mean, it was no joke. It was it was a lot of work. Um, but But here's the thing, right? I'm an engineer. I know you're an engineer, right? We're very analytical. We know how to evaluate risk. Right. We've been trained that way. And and so for me, it might to outside people might sound pretty risky, like, wow, why would you do that on your own with 10 investors and you're the only guy running the deal? But you got to understand, I mean, I, I'm a licensed general contractor, licensed professional engineer. I'd been in construction quite a bit. I ran a business. Um, so I, I had a lot of experience. I was probably maybe I don't know, 20 or 25 years out of college when I did okay. my first syndication. So it wasn't like I didn't have any other experience. I just had never syndicated a deal before. And I had done some real estate investments on my own. So that with the construction background and the business background, like I, I was able to figure it out. It, it took a lot of work. And I think having the engineering background helped to mitigate a lot of the risk that you might have if you're doing something for the first time. I'm, uh, you know, I'm super analytical and able to really evaluate those things. And, uh, and it worked out well. I mean, it's, it's been a great deal. I actually still own even that first syndication. I still have it now It cash flows every month and investors are happy. So it's, it's worked out well, but it, it was a lot of work. I mean, it, <laughs> it's a lot of work. That's all I'll I say. I, I got to be honest, you know, as a fellow uh, engineer and real estate investor, I, it's impressive. You know, I mean, to me, it's still <laughs> impressive being able to do that. Uh, solo man. So good job for you, man. That's a lot of props for you on that one. But, uh, you know, fast forward from from beginning your real estate investing career, you know, in this first syndications to where you are today, you've done very well in real estate, right? So looking back in your opinion, what does attribute most to your success as a real estate investor and syndicator? I would say, um, well, I probably had more of my acceleration in terms of success once I started joining mastermind groups, mm. Uh, hiring mentors, partnering with other people, like that's really where you can start to scale within real estate. And uh, you, I mean, look, it's it's like a, um, an economics uh, exercise. You can't do small deals and partner with people. There's not enough meat on the bone, not enough money to go around. So you have to do bigger deals if you're going to be partnering with other people. But there's a lot of advantages to doing that. One, I was able to diversify out of California for investing, which was great. Um, two, I was able to do larger deals, which have economies of scale with it. Uh, I was able to hire, you know, bigger property management companies, have an asset management team, right? You just, you have a lot more uh, resources behind you on these larger deals. And, and to me, that's a, the smarter way to scale. And I was able to start doing that once I started investing more in these mastermind groups, conferences, networking, things like that, where you really get to know other people like yourself that are doing great things in real estate. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we share uh, that sentiment um, in regards to, you know, building that community around you, you know, finding partners and being able to scale your portfolio uh, through those partnerships, right? And I know, you know, joining masterminds, going to conferences, all that stuff has been the best thing I've done as a real estate investor, even if, you know, whether active or passive, right? I think there's a lot to that you can gain from from those things. And so for anybody listening right now, take Chad's words of advice. If you're looking to scale and actually do things on a bigger scale, you got to find partners, you got to find the right community and you got to build from there because that's the way to do it. So, you know, we're talking about active stuff. You were a syndicator, but you said you also 
invest passively as an LP, right? When did that passive income light bulb turn on for you? Or was that, was that before you started actively syndicating or becoming an active investor or was that somewhere down the line? Yeah. So that's a good question. And and my, my thoughts on networking and mastermind groups, it, I think it's also true for limited partners or, or just passive investors, right? Like you really want to get to know your operators. I mean, to me, that's more important than knowing the market or knowing the deal, right? You got to know the team that's running the deal because they're going to run into issues. Um, and you want to have someone with a lot of experience to be able to handle that. So, so a lot of what I'm talking about is very applicable to LPs, even though I'm primarily a, a GP. Um, but I've done I've done plenty of LP investments. I love LP investments because I don't don't have to worry about the the headaches of running the deal, and I'll gladly share my equity split in order to avoid okay. that. The the problem is, as we know, is that you know just limited money, limited resources, right? So I I, I don't have enough money to just invest solely passively and stay out of the deals. So I'm very intimately involved in the deals as a GP, but I, I learned early on to to invest with other partners, um, even as as an LP. And it's a great way one to learn the market, two to learn about how the syndications might work or a new asset class. Like I'll tend to invest as an LP in a new market or new asset class first mm. before I bring investors into it. Right mm. when I started in, in in Long Beach here in Los Angeles. It was easy because I grew up here. I knew people. I had my networks, right? Everything was here. But when you're going out of state, uh, which I, I highly recommend in terms of diversification and returns, like you just don't know it as well. And uh, for me, as an LP, was a great way for me to learn those markets, learn the operators, and then further develop relationships and eventually come on the, the GP side. Yeah, I mean that's huge, right? Like you said, you're you're scaling your portfolio through partnerships, but instead of just going in and you know becoming a GP right away, you're testing the waters with a little bit of passive or a little bit of capital, right? You're going to invest in these deals, these sponsors, these markets. You're testing the waters to see if maybe you want to move forward and actually partner, actually become a partner uh, with those people. And I think that's huge, right? And I think that says a lot for the LP as well, right? If people are listening to this who haven't uh, participated on the on the LP side, you know. This is a great way to diversify. You can diversify across asset classes, diversify across uh, ge geographical locations and different sponsors as well, right? There's a lot of diversity within or diversification within passive real estate investing. And I think a lot of people don't, they're like, oh, we're just investing in real estate. It's not, there's not much diversification when the reality is there's there's quite a bit of diversification, at least in my opinion. So. Um, a ton. Yeah. And so, okay. So, you know, I know you have experience with, um, with uh, with uh, multifamily and uh, self storage, you know, have you invested in other asset classes as well, passively as an LP, uh, maybe like bubble home parks or or short term rentals or something like that, or do you stick mainly stick to multifamily and self storage? Uh, those are my primaries. Although uh, one of my first investments was actually a uh, medical office building, which okay. I still own today. That one I actually own and manage. It's a ten unit building, pretty close to where I live. Um, so, but that's the only medical building I own. And then, uh, I also do gold and silver. I like to use that as a storage of wealth right there. Um, but in terms of real estate, it's primarily multifamily and self-storage. Great asset classes, right? I think that's, that's the bulk of my portfolio as well, right? Um, I mean, it's just yeah. foundationally great assets. So, you know, today we wanted to talk a lot about, you know, building how, you know, entrepreneurs, business builders, W2 employees, uh, 
can create passive income streams, um, you know, for themselves and create the lifestyle that they want, right? So this idea of creating autonomy or freedom through passive income, it, it sounds appealing, right? It definitely sounded appealing to me when I first started. It still does. But the strategy for getting there may not always be clear, right? And so I know when I first started, um, I was just excited to get started. Like, you know, I'd been investing in single family rentals and it was okay, but it wasn't achieving the things that I really wanted to do. So I was like, hey, let me try this thing. I'm getting bigger and better deals. And then maybe I can, again, kind of like you be on the GP side at some point. And so um, that was, I had to go through that mindset to kind of get there. But, you know, I think some people kind of just jump into it and which is fine. But so what I'm trying to get to is if we want to go down this path of creating passive income, are there any questions we should be asking ourselves uh, to provide clarity before formulating any sort of strategy? Like maybe like, what does, what does this freedom look like to me? Or what, what numbers do I need to hit? Are there things that we should be thinking about before we build a passive income strategy? Yeah. So good question. And, and I like to start at the 10,000 foot level and maybe with some fundamentals. And, and for that, I would say, Hey, you got to go into this understanding that this is a long game, right? You're not going to mm. start investing tomorrow and be passively free in a year. Sure. Um, it's just not going to happen. I, I like to say that, that, and you've probably heard it, real estate's the best get rich slowly scheme out yeah. there, right? You yeah. got you got to have the mindset that, hey, this is this is a long-term play. I'm not investing in this real estate to, you know, pay for my kid's college in three years or, you know, that I want to retire in four years, right? You, you got to have a much longer time horizon. And if you do that, then then it's going to play out really well for you. But you need to understand that that passive income stream is going to grow slowly over time. And uh, and and you you, you um, can be successful at it for a few reasons. And just to touch on this, I'm sure a lot of your audience knows about it, but the tax savings that you get from depreciation, interest write-offs are huge, right? Especially for your high W-2 income earners, right? To have some shielded income that they're not paying those high marginal tax rates at is is a big bonus the other the other thing is is you have leverage right so you have put your investment in but then you also typically will have debt associated with your investment mm -hmm. well the debt is just a generally a flat rate that you pay but all the upside goes to the investors right that's the leverage that you have to increase the the equity in your position over time and it takes time right i mean you know back in I don't know, 2017 to maybe, uh, you know, 2022, you could do that pretty quickly, one in two years, like the equity was just skyrocketing. Um, but right now it's not. And, uh, and interest rates are higher, so it's a different environment. But I, I do like to say that there's, there's environments and opportunities in all markets, right? You just have to find the right deal. So I, I encourage people to take a look at it, even if you think, oh, I'm, I, I missed the boat, I should have invested five years ago, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm here to tell you the two best times to invest in real estate are today and 20 years ago. Because 20 years from now, you're gonna say, wow, remember that deal I picked up in 2023? <laughs> we killed it, right? I mean, that's gonna happen, but you gotta have that mindset to understand it's gonna take time. And, and the big difference here, like the stock market, you know, a lot of brokers say it takes time, stay in the market, blah, blah, blah. Well. That's not a hard asset, right? And and to me, that's a big difference. And you don't have the tax advantages that you have in real estate. There's a re reason why 90% of the world's millionaires have a piece of their portfolio in real estate, right? It's it's tried and true. It's a hard asset. It's always going to be there. So so that's that's uh I think encouraging for people that want to build this passive income stream. But you got to be patient at the same time. 
Yeah, I think that I mean it just goes back to your your first comment right there because it's so foundational, right? This is a long game, and you gotta you gotta have that long game, that long term mindset because you know there's gonna be ups and downs. But like you said, this is a hard asset, and if bought correctly, managed correctly, and positioned correctly, you're gonna be able to ride out most storms, right? Unless something just catastrophically bad happens, right? And so I think that uh, I think that it goes to the point like you're coming into this, you know, it's not gonna be. Uh, a get rich quick scheme, right? It's going to take time. And as it begins to snowball, that's the beauty of it, right? That's the beauty of all of this is gaining momentum. But as it begins to snowball, you really are going to be able to grow it pretty quickly because you're going to infuse more capital year after year into these types of deals. And then you get the tax benefits and all that stuff. It really begins to kind of snowball into something pretty big, right? If you can keep that long-term mindset. So uh, I love to hear that, man. And you mentioned, you know, the last from, like you said, 2017, something like that to about 2022, uh, it was a kind of a stuff was going a little crazy, right? I mean, you're getting some great returns pretty quickly on some of these deals, right? Uh, especially syndications. I know some operators were turning them very quickly. Um, but again, the market has changed. So based off market dynamics, you know, recently there's been some headwinds for investors going forward. Where are you seeing the opportunity uh, for those looking to create passive income? Is it still multifamily? Is it still self-storage? Are these tried and true? Or you think there should be somewhere else they should be looking? Well, I'll tell you, if, if you look back at 08 as, as an indicator, you know, with the idea that the history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, self-storage did phenomenal during, during the 08 uh, recession. In fact, it was the best performing real estate asset class. And, and people on the outside, they might think of real estate in its entirety as an asset class, but there's so many nuances to it. I know you alluded to it earlier, but you got multifamily, you've got office, you got retail, you got industrial, you got mobile home parks, you got parking lots, you got self-storage. I mean, there's just so many different aspects and niches here, right? So when, when you hear the headlines that, oh, real estate's in trouble, well, okay, real estate, you might want to look at that as a generalization, like office, yeah, office is in trouble right now. Retail, mm -hmm. yeah, retail is having some big trouble right now. Industrial is not. Uh, Multifamily is not. Self storage is not. So, so I look back at 08 and I look at um, how self storage performed. It did really well, and uh, and so that's that's a big part of the reason why I'm bullish right now on self storage. Uh, I'm working on a deal right now in Alabama that we're doing for self storage. I just closed on seven properties uh, in, in Texas uh, two months ago in self storage. Wow. So, so we're very bullish on that. Um, and then on the multifamily side, we're being a little bit more cautious, I'd say, or careful, but you can find great distressed deals right now in multifamily, right? Particularly for operators that got into variable rate loans, maybe it was a two or three year loan variable rate. They may or may not have an interest rate cap on it. It may or may not be expiring. And when you find those deals, you can find really good distressed deals in multifamily right now. And just to give you another example, I'm doing a deal in Dallas and, and we're buying it at, at $500,000 less than they bought it for in 2019 because wow. they got to get out of the loan. And um, and so that's just an example of uh, you know some distressed deals that are out there. So if your listeners are saying, oh, my gosh, I should have invested before COVID. I missed the run up, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's some deals right now that you can find that are pre-COVID run ups. You know, you just got to find them. You got to network. I mean, I know you guys put out a lot of content and always looking for deals. You know, people need to be talking to operators like you and saying, OK, what are you finding out there? Because you're, you're looking every day for deals and um, you'll pass up on most of them. But when you find a good one, 
you got to jump on it. And that's what I'm right. doing as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, if it's, if the numbers make sense now, with, especially with the financing, they're probably going to make sense somewhere down the road, down the road. Right. And so you definitely going to be paying attention to numbers and being out there looking for, for the right deals. So you mentioned there's some distressed properties in regards to multifamily. You're seeing some distressed uh, opportunities now. Do you think as we move into say the next six, 12, 18 months, we're going to see more loans maturing and having more distressed property opportunities going forward in the multifamily space? I do. I do. I think we've got about uh, 1.5 trillion worth of loans due in the next 15, 18 months on the, on the commercial side. And, uh, and that's a lot of deals that are coming due. And unfortunately the underwriting for those deals, uh, they didn't, they didn't account for a doubling. You know, I didn't account for doubling on, on my deals. Right. Sure. Um, but there, there's different levels of risk. And I know you as an engineer, you know, we're both engineers. We, we evaluate that and pay attention to it a lot. If if somebody bought a deal on a variable rate loan because they could save half a half a point on it, they're they're in trouble right now. Or mm-hmm. when their loans do, they're going to be in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. I, me personally, I didn't do any any loans like that, so I I don't have to I don't have that problem. But when when those deals come due, they're going to have to sell them, and and likely they're going to be selling them at a loss. So and we haven't seen the end of that yet. There's going to be more distressed deals that are coming. And one more thing on the market before I get off of that, you know, everyone's talking about, okay, where are interest rates going to go? It drives real estate in a big way. And everyone's thinking, okay, the Fed's either going to pause or maybe they're going to increase it a little bit more, but they're not, they're, I don't think they're going to go much higher. They're probably going to hold and everyone's saying, oh, I'm going to wait till interest rates come down and then I'm going to invest. Yeah. Well, we're going to see the biggest boom in real estate if and when interest rates go back down. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, because right now we're, we're undersupplied, right? We don't have the inventory. Sure. So you've got this, this temporary lull where I think is really good buying opportunities. And if the interest rates come back down, we're going to see an explosion in real estate. Totally agree, man. And you know, it's 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 always a wild ride to go through this kind of stuff. You know, I've I've only been investing, you know, for I would say maybe ten years, but it's always a wild ride to see some of this stuff, right? And see like the market cycles and how this works. It's all very interesting. But the one thing that I've learned through all of this, right, is obviously being staying connected to people like you who are doing this. They got boots on the ground. They're doing this uh, in a very professional way. But it's always to always be investing, right? That's kind of the way that I think about it, right? Like you don't always need to be placing capital all the time, but you need to be looking, right? Because if the deals the deals come across your desk and they actually make sense, why would you not invest in those, right? And so I think that, you know, just alluding to your point there, I think that over the next six, 12 months, there's gonna be plenty of opportunity, right? And that that includes today. And so if you're an investor listening right now, I think that you shouldn't shy away from potential investment opportunities if they make sense, even in today's market. So, you know, with that in mind, you got a lot going on at CSQ Properties. What are you guys focusing on for the next like, six, 12 months? Do you guys got any objectives or anything you're tr- uh, looking to accomplish over that time period? Um, I think it's it's going after self-storage properties, uh, a lot of mom and pop properties that don't have automation in there. They're they're not, you know, they're not run very well, frankly. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity in those. Um, about 75% of the market is is owned by mom and pops, whereas on on the multifamily side, uh, probably less than 10% are owned by mom and pop at this point. You know, it's kind of already gone through that shift over the sure. last, you know, 10 or 15 years. So I see a lot of opportunity there. We're continuing to, to chase after that. And then uh, we're continually looking at multifamily deals, primarily in you know strong secondary markets uh, where there's a, a good value add component to it. You know, we haven't really talked about the value add part of it, but in an uncertain market, 
value add is a great way to kind of hedge your bets because you're you're creating value regardless of what the market does, right? It's called forced appreciation. So you have mm. market appreciation that does what it does, but the forced appreciation means you're adding value to the property and, and then you get benefit for that. So, so you still have these forced appreciation plays. And um, so we're still doing that with BNC properties on the multifamily side and just keeping our nose to it to find these distressed deals. Absolutely, man. Sounds like you guys are going to be busy over the next few months, man. So we're, we're definitely rooting for you and I'll, I'll be following along for sure. Um, and, you know, we'll have to get you back on the show here in the next, you know, six months or something like that and see how everything's going and uh, get an update from you on that. But uh, man, Chad, this has been a great conversation. Before we get out of here, tell the listeners how they can find out more about you, your business and everything you got going on at CSQ. Sure. Yeah. So best way is a uh, website is csqproperties.com. We actually have a, an ebook on there on why entrepreneurs should invest in apartments. And I'm an entrepreneur. I've started or founded eight different companies. So I, I really relate to that, that type of people. I know you serve oil and gas professionals. Um, so they can download an ebook there. And then also anywhere on social is just at CSQ properties. Awesome. Anybody listening right now, go check out Chad's website. Got a lot of great stuff on there and uh, we'll make sure to put that stuff in the show notes, Chad. But uh, it's been a great conversation, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. You bet. Thanks. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.